Well, do keep your Bibles open uh, at that, uh, that passage. Back in the year 2004, several films came out of Hollywood at Easter. One of them was most harrowing. It was The Passion of the Christ, directed by Mel Gibson. Virtually the whole of that film was spent on Jesus' arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, his vicious beating, and his agonizing crucifixion. It was genuinely painful to watch. It was a brutal and bloody film, which left all viewers in a state of utter shock because the film focused solely on the death of Jesus, and it really left you breathless without hope. So a special Christian tract was produced to accompany the film, but which concentrated on the part that the film missed out on, which was the good news of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, one church in London decided to hand out these gospel tracts at the local cinema to all the people as they were coming out from the, end, the exits of the Passion of the Christ. And so they positioned themselves around various exits around the cinema. One elderly member of the church, who we'll call Brian, stood outside an exit door and politely said to those who were leaving the cinema, please take this. I believe it will help you to understand what you've just been watching. But he seemed to struggle to get people to take his tract when they saw it. And those who did take it opened it up and were somewhat perplexed until one of the younger members of the church came up to him and said, Brian, I, I think I know what's wrong here. You see, you have to be standing out the exit for Scooby-Doo too. Now, I'm sure that Mary and the other women who went to the tomb on that early first Easter morning could have done with one of Brian's tracts that he was handing out, something that could help them understand what on earth they'd just witnessed three days earlier, something that could just give them hope in the face of death. You see, those women... Uh, along with Jesus' own disciples, had seen harrowing events unfolding on Friday. Their closest friend, the master, the Lord Jesus, this amazing man who had, uh, who had lit up their lives, flooded them with such hope every single day that they were with him, had his life extinguished, snuffed out like a candle, and in such a brutal and barbaric way, being whipped within an inch of his life and then nailed to a cross to die in the blazing sun. Well, look down at uh, Luke 24, verses 1 to 8 again, and let's remind ourselves. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman took the spices they'd prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. 
whilst they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the woman bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living amongst the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you whilst he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. These broken-hearted women were making their weary way to the tomb where Jesus had been laid in order to anoint his body with spices as a final act of dignity to their Lord. They wondered as they walked along who was going to move the enormous stone that sealed him in the burial chamber. But to their absolute astonishment, they found that the stone had already been rolled away. And the Roman soldiers that had been guarding the tomb, nowhere to be seen. They'd fled because they had nothing left to guard. Jesus' body had gone. But three words changed everything for them. Three words that have altered the lives of millions of people since their very first utterance. Three words that would change how people viewed death, as we've heard from Chris. Do you see them? He has risen. That's what the angel said. He has risen. Who would have guessed that the best news this world has ever heard would come from a graveyard? He has risen. This is the greatest news the world could ever know. For although we live in a world of great beauty and wonder, there is one fearful certainty that we all have to face, and that is death. None of us can avoid it. The fit young athlete will one day lose his strength and his, and his agility. The beautiful woman will one day lose her youthful looks. The brilliant-minded scholar will one day forget a lifetime of learning as they age. We will all age and grow sick and weak and become frail and fragile and eventually die. Death is that one appointment that all of us are guaranteed to face. But those three words, he has risen, means that death need not have its final say on your life or mine, because Jesus has conquered death itself. Yes, you can go to the grave of Muhammad and of Buddha and of Confucius. Today, their bodies are still there. They remain dead. But if you go to the grave of Jesus, his body is not there because he is alive. And that moment in history 2,000 years ago alters everything. It means that death for the Christian is not the end. Because the resurrection is the validity to all of Christ's claims upon himself. That he really is the savior of the world. The one who alone pays for sin's consequences. Peter Lewis said this, 
into this world of pain and loss, injustice and death, one has come, sent by his Father from heaven to earth, from a throne to a manger, and from a manger to a cross. One who bore the sin of the world and all the consequences of our fallenness, but one whose story ends not in defeat, but in victory. And we shall enter into that victory in all of its fullness. This will be your story, yes, yours, if you will receive him as your Lord. Christ's bodily resurrection is the guarantee that one day I and those who trust in Christ will also be raised from the dead too. Because what happened to Jesus' body will happen to my body and yours if you're a believer. For Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though they die. And it was the resurrection that so utterly transformed sobbing and dejected disciples into rejoicing ones who became confident evangelists. Within days of Jesus' death, all signs of grief were utterly erased from the faces of the followers of Jesus. How's that possible? It's not humanly possible. It's not psychologically possible. Unless, of course, Jesus is alive. Something dramatic had changed that made them all immediately turn from being sad and dejected to suddenly being rejoicing, celebratory, positive. There were no dark clouds of grief to dampen their spirits after the resurrection sightings. The clouds of gloom evaporated in a moment by Easter hope. There wasn't a cloud in the sky regarding the loss of Christ for any one of them. All because of three words, he has risen. And within weeks, this tiny group of followers had grown in number to number thousands. And many of them were so utterly convinced that Christ was alive that they were willing to even lay down their lives for him. Stephen became the first martyr. But by far from dampening down the spread of Christianity by people being persecuted and, and even killed, it only served to further fan the flame right the way down through the centuries and through the world, right down to where you and I are sitting in this room today on this Easter Sunday evening. Oh, friends, is there someone here that you don't have this Easter hope in the face of death, but you need it? That you yourself have not yet received Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, or someone who is watching, even watching us online tonight. This hope isn't your hope because you've never accepted Christ and all He did for you on the cross. I urge you to put your trust in Him. Now, let's look at hope in the face of disappointment on the road to Emmaus. Now, we won't reread all of those uh, verses. Uh, again, but we see these two dejected disciples uh, walking away from Jerusalem to uh, a small town called Emmaus, downhearted, 
utterly crushed. That's the image as we see them on the road. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen any of the TV adverts for Specs, the high street opticians called Specsavers, but there is one very memorable advert where an aerobics teacher comes into what she thinks is a class of young fitness enthusiasts. And she starts uh, playing away on loud, thumping music and getting her arms and legs moving and trying to encourage everybody else in the room to do similar weird moves. But then the camera pans around and we start to see expressions on the faces of the people in an old folks home. And they're waiting to play bingo. And the advert ends with the famous words, she should have gone to Specsavers. You see, the aerobics teacher's vision was blurred and very limited. Well, that's the same sentiment that could be said of these two disciples that we encounter on the dusty road leading out of Jerusalem down to the village of Emmaus, seven miles away. We almost want to shout to them, it's okay, he's alive. In fact, he's right beside you. Ah, but let's pause for a moment and see things from their limited eye view. They, like the other disciples, had left family and careers in order to travel with Jesus, gradually becoming more, con more convinced that Jesus really was the promised Messiah. Who else could do the miracles that he was doing? Perhaps this was our Savior King, who God had promised to our forefathers in the Old Testament, who would put everything right that is wrong and would liberate his people from uh, Roman occupation. All their hopes and dreams were resting on this Jesus. But the last time that those two disciples had seen Christ, he was on a cross, gasping for every struggling breath, utterly powerless. And so when Jesus breathed his last and died, their hopes died with him. Their dreams were shattered. You ever felt like that? Like your hopes and dreams were in tatters? And yet it was into this dark cloud of sadness that the risen Christ Jesus draws near to them in their valley of despair. But we are told in verse 16 that they were kept from recognizing him. So Jesus is there, walking alongside them in their despair, near to them but yet not perceived by them. And you know this, I think that's sometimes even true of you and me in our valleys of despair in life. Whatever our shattered hopes and dreams are, whether they be the loss of a loved one, whether they be a failed marriage, or financial difficulty, or an illness or ailment, through all of these tough times, the risen Lord Jesus still draws near to his broken people. And he wants you to know that his presence really is there, even if it is not felt by you. Because grief often blinds us. Pain often blinds us. Or subtly convinces us that somehow God has forgotten us, abandoned us. But God will still be walking alongside you as large as ever, 
still present, even if we don't perceive him. For God in his own words says this, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And we sometimes have to take God at his word and not trust in our own feelings. And indeed, it is the word that Jesus turns to with his disciples here on this journey. Jesus reveals himself to them through the written word. He says to them in verse 25, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And so beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. You see, God's unfolding plan to send his son into this world to be its savior, was concealed in the Old Testament, in the prophecies. But in Christ, God's unfolding plan was being clearly revealed. If you like, the Old Testament prophecies were a bit like an ultrasound scan of an unborn child in the womb. It gives only you a, a partial glimpse of the child to come. But when the child is actually born, you see it clearly for all that it is. Someone once said that all the pregnant promises of God in the Old Testament find their fulfillment, find their, find in their birth, and find their birth and fulfillment in Christ Jesus. And so Jesus walks through centuries of Scripture, centuries of promises, showing how he himself is the incarnate and crucified Son of God, the fulfillment of every prophecy of Scripture that these disciples and their ancestors had been longing for. The events of the past few days were not God's plan going wrong, it was God's plan going right. God's promises in the Scriptures had not lied to them, nor to their ancestors. And God's promises in the Scripture will not lie to you or to me. It will not give us a false hope as we ourselves await another day written in Scripture, the return of Jesus Christ as King. Christ came the first time as this book promised he would, centuries before. But this book says that the risen and exalted Jesus will come again and usher in the new heavens and the new earth, where death and dying and sadness and sorrow will all be a things of the past. And such promises should flood our hearts with hope. When we doubt, and we're in despair, we need to turn to the Scriptures and God's promises and see Jesus there, towering over our fears and our doubts, dispelling our gloom, lighting our path, strengthening our faltering steps. For this book provides a pathway out of despair and a comfort for troubled hearts. It has done so for centuries, and it will continue to do so. Because this is the only book where the author is present with you in the room as you read it. 
we meet Jesus, the risen Jesus, in the pages of this book. And as we read this book, we find that this book reads us. Perhaps that's why some people don't read it. This book, as we read it, it, we find that it reads us. But when we do read it and earnestly follow it and follow the Lord of these pages, he breathes hope into our lives. Well, the disciples' growing suspicions as to the stranger's true identity were confirmed when they invite them to the home that they were staying for a meal that night. Perhaps they saw his nail-pierced hands. Perhaps it was the way that he prayed when he broke the bread and gave thanks for it. We're only told that their eyes were opened and they recognized the risen Jesus. And as soon as they realized it was Jesus, they rushed all the way back to Jerusalem to tell the other disciples, we've seen the risen Lord. I started uh, my message this evening with the Mel Gibson film, The Passion of the Christ. And I'd like to end with an illustration from that. You see, if you ever watch that film, Right at the very beginning, before you see any scenes of human beings, Mel Gibson put a scripture, an ancient scripture about the Messiah that was 700 years old from uh, the, the, uh, the prophet Isaiah, which reads this. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And these verses remind us that the wrath which should have fallen upon us fell upon him. He took our place before God, the judge, and suffered and died in our place for our sin. And in the film, the Mel Gibson film, when you see a hand holding the nails of the Roman soldier about to drive it through Jesus' hand. Mel Gibson, the director, said that he wanted his hands to hold the nail and the hammer. It is his hands that you see in the film. And he said in an interview the reason why he wanted to do that, it was to remind himself that it was for his sins that Jesus was dying on the cross. We held the nails and the hammer. It was our hands that were there, driving in the nails as he was bearing the sins, our sins on the cross. We had our part in it. We had our share with those Roman soldiers. John Stott in his great book, The Cross of Christ, says this, whether we like it or not, our sins put him there. And only the person who is prepared to own his share in the guilt of the cross may claim a share in his grace. And might I add his glory in his resurrection.
tell me this evening, would you like a share in the grace and mercy and eternal life that Christ is offering? Then repent. That means turning from living your life without Jesus. Turn from all that you know to be wrong and an offense towards him and receive Christ as your Lord and Savior and the forgiveness that he longs to give to you and the eternal life that he wants to share with you. For the moment you you receive Christ into your life as your Savior, that is the moment you begin the rest of your eternal life with him. And the risen Lord Jesus will walk through this world with you into the world that is to come. This is the Easter hope. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we bow before your word and are reminded again of some of the emotions within your people, questions, doubts, concerns, sadnesses, sorrows, Lord, they may be emotions that some people in this room might be feeling or those watching online that may something of the resurrection hope of Jesus walk alongside them. May they see the hope of the resurrection. And may at least one person trust in you, even this day, before this Easter Sunday is out, that someone might be found to be Christ's forevermore. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.